And uh, one of the things that, that really has always been like one of, my, one of my favorite Christmas songs, and we would sing it at church. Um, we, would, uh, we would sing it as, as kids, and it's on the radio, but it's that song, We Three Kings. And, uh, and so, you know, you sing that song, you know the song, you're like, hey, I know all about this stuff. Uh, but it's interesting because Matthew is the only one that talks about these magi. In fact, when Matthew talks about them, he never calls them kings. And, and I think that's really important because so often that's what we refer to them as, is royalty, these kings. These kings came to see Jesus. And I love it because Hallmark paints this picture of this, this manger scene, this stable, where you've got the shepherds, and you've got the sheep, and you've got the calves, and then you've got the, the magi, the, the kings that are sitting there clothed in all this majesty stuff, and they're kneeling down at the scene, and, and all these things are happening. They're all there with baby Jesus. Well, the more and more that I, I studied through what these what the scripture was, was really looking at and talking about and who these men were, you start to find some different things that really make it an interesting story because it wasn't like they were kings that were coming to see the king of all kings, the king of the Jews. Uh, these, were, these were guys that through translations and, and looking at Greek to Hebrew and processing through all of that stuff, you start to find out that these guys most likely were not even kings at all. In fact, they were probably scientists. Because magi, translated through, ends up coming out to be astronomers, scientists. They studied the stars, which makes complete sense. Because when you read through Matthew, and you're reading through Matthew chapter 2, you start to find out that they were attracted to this star. They saw the light from the star that was extremely bright and very prominent. And so these guys that were studying the stars, that knew the stars in the sky, that were studying those, saw this brand new star that was so bright that they couldn't really comprehend what it was. And so they got interested, and they were trying to figure out what it was that was going on, and, and they find themselves talking to King Herod, and, and, and he's a little frustrated because he's hearing these rumors too. And so he goes, and he wants to hear from his chief priests and the pharaohs, and he goes to them, and he wants to know, what does this mean scripturally? Does this mean something scripturally? Because the fact is, is that these wise men, most likely, these, these wise men, these magi, these kings, they most likely were not even Jews. Because at that point, the scripture says that they were looking to the east, which meant they were in the west, which means that there's a good chance that they weren't even Jewish. And so they come to him, and they're trying to figure this out. King Herod says, I think I know that there's something to do with scripture in this. And so he goes to his priests, and they tell them, yes, in the book of Isaiah, you start to read through this, and you start to find that the king will come back, and he will be born in Bethlehem. And so... All this comes into this, and now all of a sudden King Herod comes back, and he's, he's excited. Like He's like, I know that these guys are here somewhere. And so he sings, sends these magi out to Bethlehem, and he says, hey, when you find this baby, this Jesus, would you mind doing me a favor? Would you come back and tell me where he's at? Because I would love to show my respects to this baby Jesus. And so the magi leave, and, and what do they do? They follow a star. They, they follow this bright star that leads them to this place of this baby. But what I love about this is that as you're processing this, you know, Hallmark says that the, the three wise men, these three magi, these three kings, were, were there in the stable, right? Because that's when you see the nativity scenes at church or wherever it may be, you see these three kings at the stable. But scripture says in every translation that they met at the house. 
it wasn't that they met in the stable. They didn't see Jesus in the stable. They met Mother Mary and Jesus in a house. But then you start to process a little bit more, and, and, and different, different people, different theologists look at this in a couple different ways, but I think it's incredible to really point out the fact that, that the, the likelihood that they were there when Jesus was just born on Christmas Day is very slim. In fact, it could have been days later, weeks later, even some say it could have been up to two winters later before they finally saw Jesus. Now think about that for a moment. Two winters later, the Magi find their way to Jesus. They finally find Jesus. Scripture says, very prominently, it's very important, that they followed the star. They followed the light. How incredible is it to think that that light still shined that bright two winters later to show them the way to their true king? And that light still shines that bright today. I love it because when you, when you think about this, th there's a lot of other things that go into this, you know. Nowhere in the scripture does Matthew write that there were three of them. Nowhere. But it makes for a good song, right? We three kings of... No, like, it, it, it wouldn't make sense if you said, you know, those 12, ki or those 12 kings, but they only brought three gifts because now, man, what's wrong with them? Only, only three of them brought a gift? Or what about the two? Why did the one guy bring two, but the other guy only brought one? Like, geez, come on. And so all of a sudden, you got these different things. But so, so Hallmark and, and we have come together and said, okay, there's three of them because it makes sense. There's three gifts, three this. And so how it all comes together. Um, but the reality is we don't know how many men came to see Jesus, but what we know is this. They came from afar, they brought gifts, and the gifts were not standard gifts. Because the standard gift for the Jews at that point was to, to give them a calf or to give, them a, to give them a sheep or something like that. And yet they brought gifts of gold, right? Frankincense and myrrh. And so gold comes into it. And I loved it because, you know, I never realized just how valuable gold really was. I knew it was expensive, but I never really knew the actual product of gold until I got a job selling and trading gold and silver. And I started to realize just how valuable it was. And, and I think it really clicked whenever I held this, this dime piece of gold, size, small piece. And uh, it's a tenth of an ounce, so it was very light. And you would turn around and sell those things for $175, $200. That's incredible to think that that little amount of gold was worth that much money. But they brought it because it was valuable. It was something that they could, they could give to Jesus to, to respect and, and honor what it was. And, and then they brought frankincense. And frankincense was this incense that they would use. And, uh, and, and they, would, they would use it for multiple different things, but it was this symbol of deity. And, and so they brought the frankincense. It was this perfume. Um, very, it, it's very strong. It's a very strong... And, uh, and so they brought that and they gave that to Jesus. And that was a rarity at that point. It wasn't like everybody had that. And so they brought that. And then the other one that they brought was myrrh. But myrrh is an interesting one of what myrrh symbolizes because myrrh symbolizes death. And at that point, it wasn't like they were, they were processing this baby as, as, as death or anything like that. But it's funny how this myrrh that they brought that was so important to talk about it and to share it and to give it to Jesus that represented that is Jesus the one that represents the fact that we no longer have to be dead, but we can be alive in him. 
And his ultimate sacrifice made a way for that to be able to happen. And, and how incredible is that, is that translation there? But myrrh was used as an anointing oil, but the reason why mostly it was related to death was the fact that it was used as an embalming oil. And they would use that whenever, the, whenever somebody would, would die. And, and so the anointing oil was used whenever somebody was near death. That was like the final, like, oh, man, like, we've really got to anoint them and bless them and, and ask God for his mercies on this. And, and so that's kind of where it all fell into. But it's, it's just incredible to think of all these different things. Now, I'm not saying all this stuff to, so you, now you're scratching your head going, okay, like, what's going on? I knew this three king thing my whole entire life. Like, why are you talking about this? Because I think it's important for this. These guys were not of the Jewish custom, most likely. They came from the west. They came to the east, which shows that. But the other part of this is simple. They came from afar to see what it was that was there. How many times have we been far away from Jesus searching for that, searching for that light, searching for that purpose? And we didn't even know what it was that we were searching for. They knew that they were searching for a baby, for a baby. That's what they were searching for. They weren't 100% sure about really anything else because it's hard to comprehend that literally the Savior of the world would come in that form and be that vulnerable. And it's crazy to even think that that that, that was a, a possibility, but yet what I think is so important to point out is that when they showed up and that light led them to him, what did they do? They bowed down and they worshiped immediately. That is so important. These guys came, came into this and, and, and to a baby, they bowed down and worshiped the savior of the universe, the savior of the world. And, and, and man, I... I couldn't even imagine being in that position, in that place, and the power that was there, the power that was witnessed. And that light shines through still today, even though sometimes you may not be able to, to physically see the star that led them there. Um, I think it's so important to, to know that that light still shines so true today within ourselves, within our places that, that we go to worship, and wherever it may be, that light shines so true. You know, um, in, in John chapter 8, we see this story of, of Jesus just like hanging out with these religious leaders, all right? He's, he's sitting there, he's chilling, and he's got some, some priests around him, he's got some Pharisees around him, and these guys are there, but these guys came with a the, with the mission in John chapter 8, and that mission was that they wanted to catch Jesus. They wanted to prove that Jesus was not who he was. They wanted to prove that he had some issues, and so what did they do? They, they put him in this catch-22, but Jesus wasn't, he wasn't about that, and so what they do is they brought this woman in, and they said, Jesus, this woman had an affair. According to your guy Moses, her punishment should be to get stoned. So what are we going to do, Jesus? You going to help us? He just laid back and he's just like, no, like this isn't what this is about. He ends up forgiving her. He ends up, he ends up forgiving her right there in front of them. And then he knows that they're thinking some different things about this. And they're not, they're not excited because Jesus, if he is this king of Jews, should have stayed on the tradition that was there and what was written so many years ago. And so he should have stoned this woman. But Jesus is sitting here saying, no way. And then he says this. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me 
will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I think that is so important to where we're at now. You see, those Pharisees, those priests, they tried to set Jesus up. They tried to put him in a place where he had this catch-22 and they didn't know which way he would go. And this would either prove that he was or was not. And if it proved that he was by him stoning somebody, then it would prove that he wasn't the man that he was saying that he was because he was willing to stone somebody. Then, a few years ago, King Herod tries to set the Magi up because he wanted to send them in with the sole purpose to catch Jesus so that he could be killed because he was the king of all kings, the king of the Jews. And so when you think about that, that Jesus is the light, then whoever follows him will never have to walk in darkness again. I think of this, is that he promises to never lead us to darkness. He promises to never lead us into temptation. So many times in ministry, I, I've, I've talked with people time and time again that say that, that Jesus is just testing them. This, this is just a test. Jesus is just testing us right now. He's tempting us. And I'm like, number one, Jesus never tempts. Number two, he doesn't put you in a place to sin. He doesn't, he doesn't say, hey, I'm going to test you. Let's see if you're going to sin here. That's not how Jesus worked because in him there is no sin. There is no darkness. So then why would he react in that way? And so we find ourselves making excuses for our own issues, for our own mistakes, for our own choices. And so, so I think about this is that Jesus will never lead us astray. He'll never put us in danger. He's kind of like a lighthouse. You know, my, my grandma my nana, she, she used to have this lighthouse out front of her house. And she loved, like, I, I know that she had to have these thoughts at some point that she was just annoying the ever-living daylights out of her neighbors because this thing was bright. Like, this thing had a light bulb in it that would light up the entire block. In fact, you could see as you turned down her street, you would see, whew, whew. And you would look down and like 10, 15 houses down, it's hitting those houses. And it, it would hit those houses perfect because it was almost hitting them right in their windows. And so she's just like, I want you to see the light. I want you to see the light. Like, I'm going to make sure you see this light. And that thing went on for years and years and years. And I think of Jesus in that way. Because lighthouses are put out for a couple different purposes. But mainly, it's to help protect you from danger. Because you see the light and you're able to, to deter from it. So whether that is you're getting ready and you're getting close to land and the, the lighthouse is there to say, hey, like you're getting pretty close to land, calm down, slow down, or whatever it may be. Sometimes there's lighthouses in the middle of the ocean. Um, I was watching this documentary the other day that there's a really cool lighthouse that has been transformed into a hotel in the middle of the ocean. It's like 30-some miles out in the middle. Like, that's pretty cool. But it used to be a lighthouse. The reason why is it's such a shallow area. If a ship were to come through, it would ground. And that was actually like a shipyard where a lot of ships went down because it was so shallow. And so they constructed this place so that they could help save the ships that were traveling. And Jesus is the exact same way. And you have to look for it, because if the captain's not out looking for it, you're never going to see the light. And it's the same way. If we're not searching for it, if we don't, if we don't care to even look the, light, the slightest bit, we'll never see it. I think of some dark moments in my life, and uh, one of them that, like, I thought about it the other day, and I don't know why I thought about it, 
But my dad used to coach at Butler High School, and he'd coach soccer, and, uh, and he would take us in with him, and we'd be a part of soccer practices and stuff, and, and man, was that a dark time for, for no, I'm just kidding, but it was, uh, it was fun because, because what would happen is, is he coached the women's team, and so then my brothers and I would have to leave when the girls came to the locker room, and so he'd kick us out, and where we would go, we'd go to the gym, and so the gym was this pitch black area, like it was, like as a kid, I don't know, I was maybe like seven years old, eight years old maybe, and I remember going in there, and, and the lights wouldn't be on, it'd be pitch black, it'd be dark, and you'd kind of feel your way past the bleachers, because the bleachers were these bleachers that would like come in and come back out, and so most of the time they were, they were retracted up in, so you'd kind of feel your way, and once you got past that, you'd, you'd kind of hear your footsteps change a little bit, because you'd know that you're on the, the gym floor, and all of a sudden, you knew that there's probably nothing that you're going to run into now because you're in the middle of openness. But when it was dark out, you really couldn't see much else from that point. And so you would find yourself in a place where you would look up and, and there was a window that you could see light through. And in the slightest bit, and these windows, these windows were tinted. A little bit and so even in the darkest of times you would still be able to see that there was some light penetrating through that and we knew that if we looked for that window that that would lead me to a door that I could walk out to and now I could find myself outside so even in those darkest times even in those moments where you're you're stuck in a place that you really can't see anything and you're kind of feeling around it was there I knew that if I looked for that light I could find my way out of the gym I think it's kind of the same way with our relationship with Christ. Sometimes we find ourselves consumed by, by chaos, by craziness, by all these different things that are happening, and, and we find ourselves consumed, and it's almost like we can't see anything past it. We're searching, we're looking, we're trying to find a way out, and we just can't find it. Sometimes it's not a physical darkness, sometimes it's not that you're in a pitch black gym, but sometimes you're just in the middle of craziness that you can't see past anything else. But Jesus promises to always guide us back. He's always there. He's always chasing us. He's always present. And even in the darkest of places, even that little beam of light shines through. And when you focus on that light, you ever notice that it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter? It's like every night that I go to sleep, I'm reminded of that because I lay down in my bed and it's nice and dark. And then as my eyes adjust and everything starts to happen... It's like that little crack between my blind and my window, that light that comes through a little bit. It just gets brighter and brighter and brighter to the point that you can't even sleep because it's so bright. And you're just like, I was just here and it was so dark. But that light just seems to penetrate through and you're able to see things in a different way. But I promise you this, that he is always pursuing, always there. The light shines through. That same light that was there guiding people to know who Jesus was and that first level when he was born, the shepherds and those magi and those people that came from all areas to see this baby and to worship Jesus, that light still shines so bright today. His light will never, ever burn out. So I ask you this, are you willing to follow it? Are you able and willing to take comfort in it? And are you willing to surrender to that light? To surrender to the light, the life that Jesus has for you.
that light that no matter what chaos is going around, you're able to take comfort in it and know that, that something is going to happen with that. That even when you can't see the outcome, you can't see what's happening, that, that Jesus is there, very much there, very much alive, very much guiding you back home. I love that, that thought process that Jesus is just constantly chasing us. That scripture that I started with and talking about with when Jesus chases after that last one sheep, he leaves the 99 to chase after the one, and, and it's so important to know that he's chasing after you. The Magi were all about giving Jesus the gift of riches. But Jesus gave us the light that will never burn out. This is all about the experience. It's about experiencing Jesus. It's about experiencing God in new ways constantly, pursuing him to experience something brand new, something life-changing within you. And so I challenge you today, where is it that you stand with that? Are you in a place right now where, where it just seems like you're in full chaos mode and, and you've been looking for a way out and you've been fighting your way out, but it just can't seem to find that? And I'm challenging you right now to stop and to breathe and to look because when you look, that light will be there. That light is always there. That light shines so bright and will guide you back into the arms of your Savior that is willing to be there, that is always there willing to take you in, to hold you, to comfort you, to work through it. And whatever that may look like for a lot, it's right now, this is such a crazy time. I was talking to my mom the other day, and, and for the first time at her doctor's appointment, they started asking things about mental health because so many people are in such a bad place right now because they're just locked to locked alone. Some people are just locked alone in their homes in different places in quarantine and, and you don't know what's happening next and the uncertainty of work and the uncertainty of different things. And so mental health becomes this thing that just seems to collapse around people. And if you find yourself in that place, I promise you that there's a way out. It's focusing on him, allowing him to work through you, to shape you, to mold you, to challenge you. Sometimes we don't want to hear what that, what that out is. Sometimes we don't want to hear that, that he's saying, hey, you need to go and do this. This is what's going to make you better. Because we just want to hear that boom, we're poof, we're better. And all is better in our life. I have a financial situation, poof, I just want money to show up at my front door. But it doesn't always work that way. But he prepares a way and gives us a way out. Maybe you're placed right now where you're in this room or you're online and you're sitting here saying, man, like, I thought I had a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not sure that what that actually ever looked like. Or maybe it's not a thing of what it actually looked like. Maybe it's just a thing of what could it look like. I don't think there's any better time than right now to come back to Jesus come back home so many times people people ask well if I never was a follower of Jesus how could I come back well scripture says that he created us that he knows every hair on our heads he knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes we just make that choice to not follow sometimes we just make that choice to not be there 
not allow him to be present. But I promise that there's no better time than right now to make that commitment. Father, I thank you so much for what it is that you continue to do. As we saw in scripture that these magi came from far away to experience you. They weren't sure what they were coming to. They weren't sure about this baby boy that everybody's talking about. But they knew that they had to experience it firsthand. As we sit here together online and in person, we might find ourselves in that place that we wanna, we wanna know a little bit more. I've heard about it, I've shared about it, but that experience hasn't quite been there yet. I challenge you to not leave your spot of worship right now until that's set. So Father, I ask you to speak into our hearts and our minds and to challenge us to a deeper relationship, to a deeper knowing, to a deeper understanding in this time of Advent, this time of Christmas, that we have the faith to know that you are there, that you are present. Father, I ask you to bless those today that are seeking you, that are crying out to you, that seem to be in the middle of the chaos and all they're looking for is that light, Father. Direct them. Show them that if they find that little crack in the window that everything is going to be able to be seen. So guide us today. Shape us today comfort us today as we rest in you, Jesus. So we love you. We praise you. In your name. Amen.